Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God. We invite you into this time, Lord. We ask that you would open up your word to us. Lord, we know that, God, your word never comes back void. And we ask, Lord, more than that, that it would have a powerful effect on the way that we think, the way that we act. Holy Spirit, come and fill us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, happy Super Bowl Sunday. It is a super Sunday today. I think this first service is so packed because people are smart, right? They want to come to first service early, can go home, get all the poopoos together, get ready for the game. Is that your guys' plan? Is that why it's so packed? No, we just want to serve and come early and it's all, okay, awesome. But you know what? How many Patriots fans do we have here? Can we see a show of hands? I'm just curious. All right, we got two. Tom Brady, of course, that's a given, and his son, okay? Tom Jr., good job, you guys. And then, any Falcons fans? Yeah, okay. I'm cheering for the Patriots. I am excited. Uh, next year, my team, Philadelphia Eagles, will be in the Super Bowl. I know the Cowboys won't be in the Super Bowl. I know that. Well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, for those of you who are visitors with us, maybe you're here for the first time. Thank you for coming to Kakako Christian Fellowship. We are so excited. We're going through a series on worldview. How do we gain a biblical worldview? And so last week we kicked off the introduction. Uh, we talked a lot about the worldview being like a set of lenses that you perceive the world around you. How is the, your worldview formed? It's formed by your education, your upbringing, the culture that you live in, everything around you. And whether conscious or unconscious, every person has a worldview. George Barna, remember, he did a nationwide survey and determined that only 4% of Americans had a biblical worldview. And it doesn't get much better because in the church, that number went up to only 9%. That's not good news, church, right? And so we're really focusing and hammering it in. We're going to build it into almost 12 weeks of having God's real worldview. Today we're going to be talking about the power of the gospel. I'll get on to that in a second. But we don't want to copy the world, the way the world thinks, the way the world acts, their behavior, it's a non-biblical worldview. We want to think and act like who? Like Jesus. We want to think and act like Jesus. And God is going to use his word to teach us how to do that. How to think, how to act like Jesus instead of the world. Remember Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think, you will learn. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Amen to that. So, last week we talked about you can only find it in the Bible, God's inspired word, God's infallible word. So today we're going to be going through the word of God, starting in the book of Romans, and Romans has been called the Fort Knox of Bible doctrine. Dr. Donald Barnhouse said the Bible of a believer should automatically open to it. 75% of Bible teachers today 
said that if they could only teach from one book, Romans would be that book. Giants of the faith, like Augustine, have come to know, come to follow Jesus Christ in their lives by simply reading through the book of Romans. Martin Luther, he was quoted as saying, the epistle, the letter, the book of Romans, is the chief book of the New Testament, the purest gospel. And Luther's life was turned upside down by the concept of justification by faith, found right here in the book of Romans, which led to the Great Reformation, why we're here celebrating the Lord today. So Romans is a great place for us to start in our series regarding having a biblical worldview because it teaches us about the gospel, about the power of the gospel. What is the gospel? If you were able to talk to your neighbor here for a minute and you just said, like, give them two sentences, sum it all up. What is the gospel? You guys are thinking right now, okay, what am I going to say? What is the gospel? Oh, how, do I, how am I going to condense it? What does it mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the word for gospel was used when people were released from captivity. So it meant good news. You can go home. You're free. It's good news. You're free. You're released from captivity. That is good news. Gospel means good news. And globally, the gospel is spreading like wildfire all over. A lot of times we don't think about that. We're thinking, oh, I wonder if the gospel, you know, maybe this church seems a little small. Maybe that church, I'm not sure what's going on in the world with this whole Jesus thing. But the gospel is spreading like wildfire. In 1900, there were approximately 10 million Christians in Africa. By 2000, there were 360 million. By 2025... Conservative estimates see that number rising to 633 million. Is that amazing? Those same number, those same estimates put the number of Christians in Latin America. And, oh, the Lord is doing amazing things. The gospel is spreading. In Latin America in 2025, 640 million believers. In Asia, 460 million believers. So according to Jenkins, I was doing some research. The percentage of the world's population that is, at least by name, Christian will be roughly the same in 2050 as it was in 1900. By the middle of this century, there will be 3 billion Christians in the world. 3 billion with a B. That's amazing. The gospel is spreading globally like wildfire. What about right here in Hawaii? Did you know that Hawaii is the only state in the nation where the Christian rate, the conversion rate, People becoming Christians is outpacing the birth rate. Isn't that awesome? The only state. Barna did a, a research paper in Hawaii, State of Faith, here in Hawaii in 2011. And it was shown that over the last 20 to 30 years, revival is actually happening. I'm a product of that revival. I came to know the Lord. How many of us have come to know the Lord in that time too? You look around Hawaii, you see all these different churches denominations, pastors, Bible-believing churches. And it's good to see the unity. It's good to see the Spirit breaking out amongst all the churches. It's really amazing. Hawaii is in the middle of revival, but it doesn't stop here. We've just scratched the surface. 
Are you going to be a part of what God is doing, spreading the gospel here in Hawaii over the next 30 years? What about the Alpha Course? You know, we talked a lot about the Alpha Course. In the last two years, we've done four courses here. And it's just an easy introduction to the Christian faith. You spread it out over 8 to 12 weeks. And you have dinner, watch a video, talk in small groups. And it's just so cool to see, invite people who don't know the Lord yet to these Alpha Courses. Since 1993, more than 29 million people have tried Alpha in over 169 different countries. God is really using it. And he's using it right here at our church. You know, on the courses that we've had, we've had smaller courses, maybe 25 to 30 people. Last course, we had 80 people come through. And it was like way too big. We didn't know how to handle it. And it was just so cool to see people who are maybe Christians and want to brush up on the basics and figure out how to do this thing called evangelism and just loving on people, bringing their friends to Alpha. Other people who have no clue about Jesus. In fact, those are the people we want to come to the course. We're like, yeah, bring those people. We need more of those people. And church, be praying. God would bring people who don't know anything about Jesus to the Alpha courses. Amazing testimony of Carrie McInturf. Carrie McInturf just married Nelson Soul yesterday. I had an opportunity to perform their wedding. It's so awesome. Carrie McInturf just came to faith on our last Alpha course. She came in here very skeptical, but she was thinking, okay, I'll check it out. She came to Alpha. Tons of questions, great questions. She left over the course of eight weeks saying, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. Yesterday, God just it was so good to see the, what the Lord was doing and marrying them and just like, wow, Lord, this is so awesome what you're doing. That's Carrie's story. There's so many stories, so many stories. It's awesome. The power of the gospel. What about, I think, when I think about people being changed and transformed by the power of the gospel, I think about the Apostle Paul. So, he wasn't always Paul. Originally, his name was Saul, right? Saul is a Hebrew name, and it means requested one or the one in demand, like the VIP. So that's what Saul meant. So Saul, as we know, he was chief Pharisee, and he was bent on persecuting the church of Jesus. He was going to stomp out all the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus. He was right there when Stephen was stoned to death, Acts 8. And Paul, Saul, excuse me, approved of their killing him on the day that great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned, him, mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and put them in prison. Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, I really like that. That's a great way to talk about the church of Jesus, the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
As he neared Damascus on the journey, his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Picture it now, picture it. Boom, light from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, mouths open, don't know what to say. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. After meeting Jesus, Saul was transformed into a new person. He regained his sight. He had a whole new way of seeing life after that, a whole new world view. So much so, he changed his name to Paul, which was a Roman name. Paul means little, so it means humble. He was a very humble man, and this was the very opposite of his previous name, Saul, the VIP, the very important one. So this was going to be super helpful for Paul as he was going to preach throughout the Roman Empire. So having a Roman name helped, but more importantly, it showed Paul's what? His character. It showed that he was a humble person now. He was going to be this humble guy that God called, God would use to reach the Gentiles or non-Jewish nations. That was his calling. So Paul experienced a massive transformation, and I love hearing stories of transformation. Paul's is the best. His name was different. His goals were different. His worldview was different, right? So what can we learn about the power of the gospel to change our lives? What can we learn about it to change our worldview? Number one, you can write in your notes, the gospel is the good news of who? Jesus. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, the person of Jesus. It's not good news that you will go to heaven if you're good. That's pretty good, though. (laughs) Going to heaven. Or even the good news, you'll go to heaven if you believe in Jesus. That's not the gospel. You believe in heaven, you go to Jesus. That's good, but it's not the gospel. Here's the gospel about Jesus. And we got to remember, keep it real simple, real straight. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Amen? Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ is alive right now, and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to come into your life and use you, work in and through you. That's the gospel. He died for our sins. He was raised three days later, and he wants to have a relationship with us. That's the straightforward good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul went on to tell the Christians in Rome that the gospel of Jesus wasn't anything new. In fact, it was promised long ago through the Old Testament prophets. Paul's taking the Jewish Christians there in Rome back, saying it's promised all the way back in Genesis. He says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, remember he's humble, calling himself a servant, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He really introduces the gospel firsthand, right there, boom, the gospel of God. What is the gospel? We just learned what the gospel is, right? We know it. 
Jesus died for us. He was raised three days later, and he wants to have a relationship with you. That's the gospel. He set apart for it. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. Talking about Jesus. Who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God. Talking about Jesus again. In power by his resurrection from the dead. Then he just hammers it home one more time just in case they didn't get it. Jesus Christ our Lord is his name. Jesus Christ our Lord. The good news is all about one person, Paul's saying. Jesus. So, on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecuting the church, Paul's whole life was turned upside down. His worldview was changed. Why? Because he met Jesus Christ personally. He met the person of Jesus Christ. He was experiencing the gospel firsthand. He has a new way of looking at the world, a new way of relating to the world, he could never go back to his old life. He was totally transformed. And I love the stories of transformation. I'm thinking about more people who went through the Alpha Course, Pat Funai. I bring up Pat's name a lot nowadays, but I'm so in awe of what the Lord is doing within Pat's life. For those of you who don't know Pat, Pat was up here playing a ukulele, guitar, and he's just an awesome musician. But he was only coming to church for years because his wife wanted to come to church. So she's like kind of dragging him along. And he's, you know, like good soldier husband. Oh, yeah, come. And he's getting a little bit more involved. First, he's like way back there uh, with the baby. Then he's kind of getting more and more and more involved. He comes to an alpha course. God rocks his world. Okay, Pat is up here. He's playing for the Lord now. Before he just playing, now he's playing, worshiping the Lord through the gift of music, his instrument. He's serving the Lord on Alpha. He is just using his workplace as ministry. He meets with a group of guys once a week, and they study the Word of God. He's in the Bible, praying. It's like God has just changed him. You see his whole countenance change his life is radically different why because he experienced the gospel and the gospel is not a thing the gospel is a person his name is jesus is that cool pat oh man i'm so excited i could just go on i just pick people out of the crowd look for you and up no but i just love it i just talk of like testimonies all day long and god wants all of us here no matter where we are in our journey to experiencing, to be experiencing the gospel. The same transforming news that Paul, Martin Luther, Pat Funai, Carrie experienced. And it all starts by experiencing the gospel, having a relationship with Jesus. Well, uh, we go, we see God using people like Paul. He went from Saul to a Paul. Why? He was touched by God's grace. And that leads us to our second point. Jesus calls me to a life of grace. Jesus calls me to a life of grace. Romans 1.5 says, Through him, meaning Jesus, 
we have received grace. He continues on talking to the Roman church. Through Jesus, we have received grace. What does grace mean? Grace, the Greek word for grace in the New Testament is charis. We have uh, some charises here. We have a charise, spelled the same way. What does charis mean? Grace mean means unmerited blessing. Undeserved blessing. And I like to think of the acrostic G-R-A-C-E when I think of grace, just to help me remember what is grace all about. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches, his blessing, didn't come free, didn't come cheap. God's riches at Christ's expense, because he paid the price for it, our sin on the cross. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 Paul, speaking to the Ephesian church, talks about grace. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Our sins we deserve wrath, punishment for our sin. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It goes on, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Is there a theme here Paul's trying to push through? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a, from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul wanted the Christian church in Rome to know that he was a recipient, a receiver of God's unmerited blessing. He didn't deserve it. He did nothing to earn it. In fact, he deserved just the opposite. And Paul, he recognized that. He understood it. He was all about that. He said, I'm the chief of sinners, guys. I am the chief. And we know but what he was doing. Think about the life that he lived. Persecuting the church. Dragging off men and women. Children. Believers of Jesus. To see them killed. Stoned. This guy was like one of the head executioners for, if we want to relate it to something that we can sort of get. He's like a head executioner for ISIS. This is one bad dude. This is a bad guy. It's not like he was just saying, okay, we got to get that house church over there. Maybe we should. No, no. This was a guy who had a lot of sin built up in his past. He did nothing to earn God's grace. In fact, he deserved just the opposite. He was a chief of sinners, he called himself. Yet God 
extended his amazing grace to Paul. And it changed him forever. How many of you know the story of John Newton? John Newton, what hymn did he write? Throw it out there, anyone? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. John Newton was born in England in the 18th century. He was, he didn't have a mom. She died at an early age. His dad was a slave ship owner. His dad was a bad guy, really bad. They were continuing to do that. The dad wanted his son to go into the family business. He brought him in. Soon, he rose up the ranks and became a slave ship owner himself. But John Newton didn't have any character. He didn't know the Lord. He was boozing. He was doing all kinds of things, gambling. And pretty soon, his life became a complete and utter mess. So much so, losing everything he had. Instead of owning the ship, he became a worker on the ship. His life got worse. He became a slave to the slaves off the coast of Africa for two years. The slaves felt so sorry for him, they would bring him food. This is the life of John Newton. Then one day, sailing back to England, they experienced a major storm. He remembered when he was a little kid before his mother died, the faith of his mom, praying for him, talking to him about Jesus, the gospel. Somebody on the ship gave him a little devotional, and he read it, calling out to the Lord, and it started him on this journey. John Newton stopped doing what he was doing. He went back to England. He studied for the ministry and became a priest, a pastor, Evangelical Anglican Church. It was there he was working for the abolition movement. In fact, he was mentoring William Wilberforce, working in Parliament, the English Parliament, which stopped the slave trade. He had a huge influence in his life. He penned Amazing Grace. I'll just read the first part of the song. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And I think if Paul could sing this hymn, or maybe he's up in heaven singing this hymn, oh, he likes this one. This is a good one. Paul's like, oh, that's me. I was definitely a wretch. I was blind, but God opened my eyes because of the gospel the good news of Jesus. And so many of us can identify with John Newton, with the life of Paul. And you said to yourself, you know what? God, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm a wretched person. God, you know me. You know my heart. You know what I think. You know what I say. You know what I've done. And a lot of people... They feel like this so much so that they don't want to come to church. A lot of us know these kinds of people. I've heard it from my friends, my own dad, 
at one time. He said, no, 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 I can't go to church. So I'm going to burn up if I go in there. You hear that all the time. And people, they really believe it. They're like, oh, man, if you only knew what I'd done, Pastor Max. <laughs> so shame. You only know what the kinds of thoughts I think. Oh, God could never love me. God could never forgive me for what I've done in my past. May the Holy Spirit be at work. Wasn't the worship good this morning? Whew. Sense the Holy Spirit moving. He's wanting to break some walls down. He wants to come and touch us right now. The Bible says Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to convict us. Convict us of our sin because he loves us so much. You might feel like, yeah, I'm, that's mean. I'm a chief of sinners. I'm a wretched person. Lord, I need your forgiveness, but I don't know where to begin. It starts with grace. God wants to extend you the gift of grace, Paul says. It's not something you work for, not because you're so awesome or you did something to come back to him. It's just simply a gift. Would you receive God's forgiveness, his love, his plan for your life, his grace? Amen? In your heart, you would say, yeah, Lord, wherever I'm at, Whatever is standing between me and the Lord or somebody else today, I want to get rid of that today. I want to receive your grace. That's number two. Number three, God calls us to a life of purpose. God calls me to a life of purpose. Moving on in verse five. Through him we receive grace, Paul says. Then he goes on to say, an apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. For his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. So Paul was called an apostle. The apostle to preach the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world. What does apostle mean? Apostle simply means sent one. One who is sent. That was Paul's mission, his purpose from God. Apostle, the sent one to the Gentiles. That's why he wanted to go to Rome so bad. That was his mission. What is yours? That was his purpose. What is the purpose God has called you to? Paul was being sent to the Gentiles. Who are you being sent to? Ask yourself that question. Lord, who am I being sent to? And as we ask the Lord, Lord, please reveal your purpose you're calling for our lives, for this church, Lord. Give us a heart to preach the good news of Jesus. Remember, keep it real simple. Give us a heart to preach the gospel to those who don't know him yet. Lord, that's got to be part of my purpose. Lord, that's always a part of every Christian. That's the Christian life. You know, when I was a kid, I was growing up, I didn't know the Lord. Talked about my testimony a lot. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But when I was in college, I remember before I knew the Lord, I was always thinking, people ask me, what are you going to do? What are you going to study? I don't know. Shucks, I just want to do something meaningful. I remember telling one of my buddies. I was like, meaningful? Like what? I was like, I don't know. Maybe I'd be a teacher. Like, PE is pretty meaningful. <laughs> I like that in school. No, I'm just kidding. I thought maybe like a history teacher or social studies. That's like, Lord, yeah, maybe I'll go to school and be a teacher. Something that's going to be 
impacting in people's lives. I just didn't know what to do. Then I met Jesus. Somebody preached the straight gospel to me, my brother Ben. I received the gift of grace. I went on a mission trip. I was filled with hope. I was filled with purpose. I never thought I would be standing here today as a pastor, even speaking, talking about Jesus. Never would have dreamed it. The Lord gave me a purpose in life. And I'm like so thankful. You know what I'm most thankful for? I don't have to like convince people, okay, you got to do this, do that, do this, like self-help. And do these things and you're going to be all good. No, all you got to do is say, I received a gift. I received Jesus. It's by faith. Amen? Isn't that awesome? You don't have to be good enough. Just receive Jesus by faith. Finishing up, number four, and we can have the worship team come on up here. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power that, of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew." then to the Gentiles. Number four, you can write in your notes as we conclude. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because there is power in the gospel to save. You know, the Greek word for power in the New Testament is dunamis. Who knows what word that's related to? Dunamis. Dynamite, right? Dynamite. God's power has a power to save. And so many times we think, I don't know. I'm a little shy. <laughs> what are they going to think if they see me acting as a Christian? What are they going to think if I say something about God bless you or say, you know what, brother? Let's just pray right here in the middle of your office. What are they going to do? You know what? If I really invite this person to church or Invite this person to come to Alpha or something. Are they really going to come? There is power in the gospel. There is dunamis, dynamite. The Bible says this is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. How's that power? Whoo! That's a power. That's some dynamite. And God wants to blow up things in our lives. He wants to blow up your spiritual life. Look what he's doing to blow up the gospel all around the world in Latin America, in Asia, in Africa, and even right here in Hawaii. And God wants to do it in your life. Amen? It starts with the gospel. There is power in the gospel to save. So may today be the day we would say, God, give me a new worldview. I'm not ashamed of the gospel anymore. I'm not going to shrink back. Lord, I'm going to go to this Super Bowl party and people are going to know. When they, they see me, when they talk to me, they know I love Jesus. Why? Because he's transformed me. I've met Jesus on the road and he's transformed my life and I'll never be the same. Amen? Let's stand. No one is too far from the reach of Jesus Christ. We see the examples in John Newton and Apostle Paul. We see it in lives of us right here and even in our own lives. You know, maybe today 
you're going to say, Lord, I need more boldness. I want to see your courage come and fill me that I would not be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because I've met Jesus. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe he wants me to bring the gospel in all its power. Jesus is going to rock some of our friends, some of our families' lives. And it's going to be this year. Do you believe it? There's some people God wants you to start praying for and really take it seriously and say, you know what? I'm going to be that person who gave that devotional to John Newton on that ship. I'm going to be that parent who talks to my kids about Jesus and loves them into the kingdom. Trains them up in the way of the Lord. I'm going to do something new that I've never done. I never even dreamed of. What is that? The Lord will speak to us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are the one, the only one that can save. Because, Jesus, you paid the price on the cross for us. We didn't have to go there, Jesus. We didn't have to pay the penalty for our sin. And, Lord, there's some people here, they might feel like I am a wretched sinner. I'm the chief of sinners. I can't. You wouldn't forgive me. And God is saying, no, sorry. My gift of grace is for all those who would believe. Said it right there in the verse. For all those who would simply believe. There's somebody here today that's never believed in Jesus and never received him simply by faith that they would do so right now and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the Thank you for being raised from the dead three days later. Thank you for wanting to have a relationship with me. I receive you right now by faith. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I want to follow you. That's the gospel. That's the pure gospel. And it has power to save. It saved men for thousands and thousands thousands of years. The gospel is right there in the book of Genesis. And Lord, I pray for every person here, God, if they say, Lord, use me in my workplace, use me in my family, Lord. I want to be somebody who's going to be preaching the good news to others. Then I pray for you right now, power. Come Holy Spirit, come in power. Give them, Lord, just an extra measure of boldness and courage today, Lord. You would encourage us today, Lord. We can't do it in our own strength. So, Lord, we humbly, like Paul, we become very little and say, Lord, when we're weak, we know you're strong. We need you now, Lord. Come in power, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord. You love us that much. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. His name we pray. We all said, amen.